a Colombian cyclist. His name is Jonathan Restrepo. Uh, he's become a good friend of mine, actually, from our working together. Um, the world of cycling is a very demanding cycling, and it's also a high-priced sport. And so Jonathan was training in Colombia. He's on a European team. I'll, I'll leave the names of the teams out of it. Um, but he was expected to go to the Giro d'Italia this year. Um, he suffered from COVID in the early on beginning of the season, and his doctors flagged him, said, no, you're, you're not going to race this season. It was also a contract year for Jonathan. And in the world of contract years for cyclists, it means you're being evaluated to be either picked up by another team and paid more money or hopefully stay on your own team. So it's a risky moment for a cyclist. And not all cyclists have a lot of money. You come from Colombia, chances are you didn't come from a very wealthy family and you have to pay the bills. So Jonathan's wife and his young child are wondering if Jonathan is gonna race at all. Um, so I was introduced to him at the time. Jonathan's a mountain, he's a climber as most Colombian riders are because they're gifted because they live at altitude yeah. and his his um, vital lung capacity was diminished all the way down to the mid four liter range so 4.5 4.6 liters and his um, team doctor said just just get back to training when you can and we'll see you next season and Jonathan was determined to try to find a way back so we bumped into each other the the cosmos made it happen kind of thing we bumped into each other and I wrote him a protocol, sent him an aeropit down to Columbia via a friend of mine, Zach Morris. And 11 days later, Jonathan went from 4.8 liters to over eight liters. That was Sean Coakley. I am Curtis Mansfield. And this is the Hips and Dips podcast. Welcome to episode 29 proper. Regulars may point out we had the compilation episode last week, which was technically the 29th release. But I would like to point out, I'd be rather annoyed with myself if we had 31 episodes in a series. So we're going to ignore last week's episode uh, in terms of the chronology. And this series will finish next week, episode 30 and one bonus episode. If you missed last week's episode or you are new to the podcast, and I'd recommend you check it out. I had uh, lots of great feedback from people, especially people who heard various clips from different guests and immediately went out and found the corresponding episode to learn more. But on to this week's guest, Sean Coakley is a performance breath coach and AeroFit master trainer with over 25 years experience coaching and teaching breath techniques. The concept of breath training is fascinating. I saw this um, journal entry recently, which suggested that lung function may be the true limiting factor to great athletic performance, suggesting muscular strength can be modified, cardiovascular strength can be improved, recovery can be better managed, but it's unlikely that lung function, so capacity and breath rate, etc., can be modified and therefore it may be the bottleneck in this performance system. But AeroFit seems to suggest, along with Sean and his expertise, uh, this may be a myth. And in fact, lung function may be the most underutilized and poorly explored element of improving athletic performance. I think I'll leave the rest of that really for Sean to say for himself. 
but I'm looking forward to this one for sure. But first of all, let me just remind you all of where to check out the social media. So it's at hips underscore and underscore dips with a Z on Instagram and my personal Instagram, which is at Mansfield Curtis, where you can find out more information about myself, about AeroFit and about all of my guests from this first series. So I think now it's time to hand over to the man himself. It's Mr. Sean Coakley. Right, Sean, fantastic to have you on. How are you doing? Doing well, mate. Thank you. Thanks for having me. <laughs> where about where about you based these days? Um, I know you're obviously historically stateside, but you're working with AeroFit, who have a lot of base in sort of Denmark, etc. Whereabouts are you? Right, right. So the, the company is based in Denmark. The headquarters is in Copenhagen. I am a, an American citizen. I was born and raised here. I was born up in New England, up in Connecticut. And about 18 years ago, my folks had moved down here. And I married a girl from South Africa, from Durban, and she didn't like the cold weather. So we decided to transplant ourselves down here. So it's been here for about 18 years now. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, um, yeah. I was saying to you before, actually, we just had this little bit of a heat wave here in England. And gives that little taste of what it's like in perhaps a tropical area like Florida. And we only had like two days of it. It's already yeah. been a little bit hot. I'm not going to lie. I'm not, I'm not <laughs> coping too well. Trousers yeah, and shirt it's, for it's, work. It's not the one, really. It's sunny and boring here every day at the end of the day. <laughs> yeah, well, we got the variety, so we can't, we can't complain here in London. Okay, so I suppose um, I do want to crack on. But before we get on to the real crux of this interview, I guess, um, I suppose it's a quick question, really. Sort of how has this sort of COVID experience been for you, really? I mean, we always talk about it in terms of, I guess, health. So mm-hmm. sort of mental, physical, social, etc. But it's a very broad question, really. Sort of, but how has how's it all been? Really? Um, yeah, there's a lot of ways to answer that. So I'll be careful. I'll stay out of the world of deep politics, if you will. Um, <laughs> I have my own viewpoints on those things. Um, but here in the States, as you probably know, it's it's divisive. There's, you know, there's two sides of a fence for sure. Um, the middle is very small swath of people at the end of the day. So I land on the side where uh, I'm, I'm a epi- I have a degree in epidemiology. That's one of the degrees I have from a long time ago. I believe in science. So I personally am vaccinated right now. Um, but it really has changed how we think about things over here. And um, the politics certainly doesn't make it easier uh, by any means. So at this point, personally, I'm looking uh, to be hopeful and optimistic and put it in the rearview mirror. I haven't been able to travel like I would like to. I I miss coming to Europe and coming to my headquarters. Um, But on the opposite side of that, um, in a business sense, um, it has brought attention to the importance of respiratory capacities. So I don't like to say we're benefiting from it, but the subject of respiratory science is benefiting from it because people are looking at it. And I have to be careful without making any kind of claims by any re- by any means, but but we can, you know, I'm helping people who are recovering from COVID every day of the week, which is a really wonderful thing to be able to do. So yeah, so it's a mixed bag really, to be honest. Um, yeah. But I, I'm an eternal optimist. So I'm, I'm gonna look for the bright side of life and and focus on helping people because I could do that right now, which is pretty good. Yeah, fantastic. I'm not sure actually we really discussed much about what I do day to day, but um, actually you can probably tell I'm not media trained, I'm not really a media person. I actually work. <laughs> Me neither. <laughs> <laughs> I actually work in a hospital over here in, here in London. So I'm a clinical pharmacist. I actually work on a respiratory ward mostly and intensive care. So I suppose, yeah, I've seen obviously the COVID pandemic from a different perspective, I suppose, like a very sort of hands-on perspective I guess um and and yeah I think there's two things from that really firstly 
like you can really see how poor here in the UK, like our spiritual health is. Um, obviously, you've got mm-hmm. things like pollution, you've got, you know, asthma and COPD, smoking, all these sort of factors that can affect that, but also just general exercise levels and um, of that. So I think, I think the concept of a device or a business or a program that can actually benefit everyone's spiritual health must have so many benefits long term. That's something we'll get on to later on. The other thing sure. that I think is interesting, actually, what you said was you're based in America. I assume you do a lot of liaising with customers probably in Denmark and the business back in Denmark. So obviously there's that ability there, which I suppose would always require like a Zoom like conferencing. So I suppose you're you would have been used to it anyway, I guess. But for someone like me, just to dive straight into this zoom microsoft teams world it's taken well i mean i'm still not really used to it now and <laughs> work out a start interview but it's right. uh, it's certainly been a, a massive learning curve i suppose for the last last year and thinking of pretty much every aspect you can think of really yeah and and listen i i speak to pulmonologists on a regular basis i speak to nurse practitioners here and around the world um and i'm a breath coach at the end of the day i have been for a very long time so there's a lot of intuitiveness that goes into caring for people. Um, you know, in, in order to be around people to assist people, I think it's a, a crucial part of care. It is harder to care for people remotely over, over a video stream. Um, and when I coach people, whether it's an athlete or someone suffering from some symptomology that they have, um, it's difficult. I, I wanna be in the room with them. I wanna see the mechanics of how they're breathing, how they're feeling, the, the look on their face or the wincing that they're doing, all those little bits and pieces that over years of experience become important in terms of creating a prognosis or, or some kind of protocol for somebody. So it's, it's I'm getting used to it as well, but um, preferably everything I do is in person uh, in the best case scenario. So I'm looking forward to getting back to that one-on-one touching, feeling type of in-person interaction. Yeah. Uh, I, I kind of miss it, to be honest with you. No, no, for sure, of course. Um, okay, so we're going to really get into that so real meat of this interview in a moment. But before we do, we always have this little ice-breaking game. Um, I never prepared, I guess, for it because they always <laughs> ask too many questions. So this is very much a surprise <laughs> to everyone involved. And what I basically do is I take some sort of like pun or title from either my guest's life or what they do or perhaps the subject of the interview. Um, in this case, I've gone for a game show we're going to call Every Breath You Take. Okay. Um, which is uh which is great and uh <laughs> originally i was gonna go for like um sort of do like a high or lower based on lung capacity of different animals or different people um which i okay. thought would have been great it turns out it's so hard to find out the lung capacity of a lion <laughs> i've spent i spent like a whole like two hour period googling what is the lung capacity of a blue whale? What's the lung capacity of a, <laughs> of a giraffe and so on? And you can't find it out. It doesn't exist. I don't know where right. the research being done. It's not, it's not out there. It's not on the common domain. So I gave up on that, unfortunately. Okay. But All the right. name Fair still enough. stands because I wasn't changing the name. So instead, we're going to do higher or lower, and we're going to base it on oxygen percentages of places around the world. So in other words, Ooh. how Ooh, sort of dense the air is, um, which correctly you probably point out directly correlates with altitude etc so basically it is are these places oh my goodness but we're not gonna do that that doesn't sound right embarrassment over with (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so right so high or lower oxygen percentage so that's oxygen percentage not high or lower in terms of height because this way gets confused understood understood okay so first of all we're going to start off 
here in England on the south coast, a little place called Brighton, which is obviously sea level. And I can tell you that's 20.9% oxygen. So okay. high or lower, Salt Lake, Salt Lake City in the US? Lower. Uh, lower, yes, that is 17.4% oxygen. Um, high or lower, the base camp at Mount Everest? I'm, I'm getting confused with the perspective already. So, so there's less <laughs> oxygen there, obviously. <laughs> so, um, so there is lower. Lower, <laughs> yes, 11% uh, oxygen. That's <laughs> yes. 5,181 meters. Actually, I'll show you on the camera my little arrows. I've had to cross it out several times because <laughs> I got myself confused that it was every stage. Right, so high or lower than base camp Mount Everest is Mont Blanc, the peak of Mont Blanc. Oh, that's interesting. I'd say lower. Uh, no, that's higher, just. Is it? It's 11.4% oxygen, which ah. is uh, just below five kilometers. Okay. Uh, next up, we have uh, Bogata in Colombia. And I'm comparing this to which, which to the last <laughs> point. This is the last one, yeah, so compared okay. to Mont Blanc. Um, I would think that that would be higher. That is higher, yep, 14.8%. Yes, okay. Uh, and then over to the K2 mountain in oh, Pakistan, boy. amongst others. Yeah, sure. Are we at the peak? Are we at the peak of that mountain? We're at the peak, yeah. <laughs> oh, the base. Right on the top. Right on the base peak. <laughs> okay, I would say lower. I would say lower. Uh, lower, yes, that's 7.2%, uh, okay. about eight and a half kilometers up. Uh, next, uh, Albuquerque in New Mexico. Oh, that's definitely higher. Higher, yes. Uh, yes. I don't actually know the percentage there, but it's about one and a half kilometers up. Uh, what about Colorado Springs? Lower. Lower, yes. That's about two kilometers high. And then finally, to finish, an easy one, really, the peak of Mount Everest. Uh, okay, wait, let me think for a moment. <laughs> <laughs> no, lower. It is lower. That's the, I think that's obviously the lowest recorded level, yes. and that's six point nine percent. Wow! Uh, so yeah, well brutal. done. That's uh, <laughs> thank you. Is that full mark? I was scared. I wasn't counting actually. Is that full mark? I got one wrong at least. I oh, got one wrong. Got okay, one we'll hit one yeah. off. Uh, that was needlessly complicated as well. I'm still confused. I've got arrows all over the place, high or low. I don't know. But anyway, that was uh, every breath you take. So thanks for playing. Well done. Well done. <laughs> right. Anyway. Right. So. Uh, now the ice is well and truly broken. Let's get on with these sort of real key points. So, first of all, I think you had a fairly interesting life, um, for sure, from my research. And um, before we get on to kind of what you do now, let's go right back to the beginning, really. So let's talk about your sporting life, uh, pre-injury, kind of how you trained, what you did, and sort of what your ambitions were. Sure. Um, so from from a very young age, um, I grew up in Connecticut, up in New England, in the states, and from a very young age. Um, by chance, by sure luck in a lot of ways. I grew up in an area where football or soccer was uh, a predominant way of being raised as a kid. And there were a lot of European ancestry um, that, were in, that was in the town that I was in. So I was fortunate to have some really great coaching. Um, I'll say that it was alternative coaching as far as the United States is concerned because my coaches were from Europe, born and raised. So I got taught in a different methodology of football, arguably, some people might get mad at me, arguably a better method of football uh, at the end of the day. Um, so I grew up around a group of boys who, and we played together since we were young, and I was probably, 
a middle of the road player with an incredible group of players. So I was raised at a high level of engagement. So I ended up doing pretty well, got a scholarship to a division one university here in the States. And I was doing fairly well for myself. And midway through, I got an injury. Um, I had an, I had an ankle injury, which basically diminished my capacity to make quick changes on the pitch. Um, so I basically was no longer going to be the player that I was historically and got a little depressed, a little bit frustrated, but, um, being an athlete and an optimist, I, I found another outlet. I was always riding my bike around as much as I could on the road and I was in great shape. So I naturally got on my bike and transitioned to it pretty comfortably. And before I knew it, I was interested in racing and started competing and I loved it. Um, it was a different type of team sport. Um, it, it was a little bit more introspective and analytical because I had to understand rotations per minute and power watts and all those other fun things that you have in cycling <laughs> that you don't have in football. Um, so my analytical mind took to that very well. Um, and I finally mm. had data to play with. Um, so um, the small shift in that story is, um, and I'll be honest and transparent and a little bit humble about this, because of my ankle injury right after soccer, I, on paper, I flunked out of school. Um, because I didn't know what I was at college for other than to play football. I wasn't studying anything. I was playing football and having a couple of beers on the weekends um, kind of thing. So um, I left school and was doing the cycling. Then I found my true calling. I found a passion in cycling and it got me interested in a different type of academic thought process. So I, in the middle of that, I went back to a different university and started studying public health and epidemiology and biochemistry and nutrition. And okay. that's what I was born. That's what I was born to do kind of, but I didn't find it until afterwards. And then I had an accident when I was cycling, I had some micro fractures in my back and I broke several of my bones, my ribs on my left side and had a lot of soft tissue damage. And this was all in a time when I was attempting to study to get into medical school. And, um, that injury took me away from most of that. I had uh, an inability to read or sit or stand. I was in pain most of the time. Um, and so um, I started taking yoga at the end of the day around that time. And I found that yoga at that point in my life was better than any other Western modality medical care that I was receiving in terms of alleviating my pain. Yeah. And if anybody knows yoga, I won't go down the path of patchouli and lighting candles here. I will just say scientifically, the controlling of your breath while moving your body is what yoga is all about. It's the ability to control how you breathe while you move. And I became eternally fascinated by that to the point where I probably studied more about respiratory science out of school than I ever would have in school. I don't know if there's a textbook out there I haven't read. And I don't know if there's a story I haven't read about it. And so I started teaching yoga and that I quickly distinguished myself in the yoga world up in Connecticut and New York City by being coming the guy known who knew everything about breathing, not just chanting and not just saying mantras, but actual scientific validated breathing techniques. And then I became known as the performance breath coach. And that was 25 years ago. So I've been doing this for a long time. It healed my pain. Um, I use it every day, the techniques I do as a maintenance to keep myself feeling good and comfortable in my own skin and my bones. And a few years back, I was over in Copenhagen training with a world champion freediver, um, uh, one of the guys out there who could hold his breath for about 20 minutes. And I got fascinated by that. And some of the uh, world champion freedivers were members of the then forming um, Aerofit community or Aerofit company. So there's a lot of, there's yoga in the, in the world, there's science around breath, there's 
world championship freedivers who brought a unique type of science. And this all kind of brought me to a point where I'm like, I think I'm about to find my best job I was born to be in my life, which was being a coach for a company that makes something that's beneficial for people rest from a respiratory perspective. I get to talk yoga science, freediving science, athletic science every day of my life. And so I couldn't find a better job for myself, I think, at the end of the day. Mm. Um, so looking backwards, all these crazy things in the type of, and in the, in the middle of all that, I work for startup tech companies as well. So I have a pretty crazy, wacky CV at the end of the day. But looking at what I do now, everything I learned up until now makes me love my job. And from what people tell me, it makes me good at my job. Um, because I'm able to pull from a lot of different areas, basically, at the end of the day. So, yeah, life is good. <laughs> well, yeah, um, that was great. <laughs> that that has combined like three or four of my questions into one. So that was uh, cool. a very thorough answer. Um, Sorry. <laughs> no, no, that's, uh, that was perfect. Uh, yes, I really like that, actually. I really like, I, I'm sure you've probably got a similar view, actually. Joe, when you have someone who practices what they preach, I think it's always mm -hmm. really useful when it comes to learning anything and and I really like when people combine science and education knowledge with that physical application. So there's quite a few examples. Um, you know, it's a classic example, someone like Wim Hof, who I'm sure you come sure. across. Um, well, of course you have, obviously, breathing, cold water immersion, that sort of stuff. But again, like he writes books, he does seminars, he educates people, but he also does it and he's proven it on himself and he's like his own lab rat. And then to other extents, you've got people like Ross Edgerty, who's quite big here in the UK, sure. um, endurance athlete. Again, <clears throat> sorry, he reads the texts, he reads the journals, he writes the research, does the research, but also practices it himself. So if you want to learn from someone, people like you, people like Ross, people like Wim, et cetera, have that, like, I think, real applicable knowledge, which, which I'm really drawn sure. to, for sure. Yeah, and, I, and listen, I, look, I think at the risk of, of comparing people to people, which I don't like to do, I, I'm not a dogmatic practitioner, nor am I a dogmatic teacher. Um, I, I believe there's a right tool at the right time for the right person when it mm. comes to breathing. So I, I enjoy what Wim does in, in, a, in, a, in the ways that he should apply it. I enjoy what other teachers do. There's a vast world of breathing thought processes out there, right? There's a lot of different styles that are out there. I, my quest was to learn them all and not to get stuck with one, because I believe a 90 year old sufferer of COPD might not get in an ice bath tomorrow. At the same time, you know, um, a person in their teens who's a type A athlete might not want to slow down, light a candle and light an incense stick and sit in a closet all day long, right? So, so <laughs> it's a matter of applying the right thing at the right time for the right person so they can maintain the benefit. And I see it as taking teachings from all of these great people out there that share knowledge and being allowed to take a lifetime journey because you could shift from one to another and enjoy the process and use the right ones whenever you want to. So to me, that's the real quest is getting like getting, if I were to get to know you as a person and coach you, it wouldn't be, let's apply this to you. Cause that's what I like. It would be learn, let's learn what you want to achieve and how you feel and start thinking about how to apply all the wisdom of breath to help you personally at this stage of your life. Right. Kind of thing. So yeah, but yeah, uh, um, there's yeah. definitely a lot of great teachers out there. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And I think it's also really just a, quite a very general point everyone can take from this as well. I think it's the idea that, like I mentioned this a few times in this series already, but don't just take stuff for like, as it says. So if someone, COVID is a classic example. Don't just, if someone says do this, do that. Yes, do it, but understand why you're doing it. 
So understand why you need to take, for example, vitamin D, why there's benefits taking vitamin D or why you should increase your micronutrition or why you should sleep more, whatever the reason is, whatever the benefit might be, understand kind of why it is that rather than just, oh, because the news said so, or I read this one thing, you know, educate yourself on the subject. Yeah. And it, whether that comes to weight loss or improving strength or endurance or just being healthier, improving the immune system, whether that goal is, just really educate yourself as broadly as you can. Not everyone can understand everything, but as broadly as you can understand the subject. Agreed. I love, there's an old, uh, one of my old teachers from when I was young always used to say, question not to question, question to learn. Right. That was always that that was always that always goes in the back of my brain. And then my athletic friends are uh, their statement is always you're either winning or you're learning right at the end of the day. So those two yeah. thought processes are always kind of stuck in my mind when I'm thinking about educating myself to make decisions. And you're right. Um, unfortunately, there's a lot of misinformation out there, even in the world of breathing. Um, and a lot of people get dogmatically stuck in believing that one way is the only way. And that's really kind of to me, that's kind of a shame. Um, and I, I usually these days, it's a lot of around nose breathing which is hyper trendy right at the end of the day and it's a brilliant thing but i work for aerofit and you have to put aerofit in your mouth so you wouldn't imagine how many times people say i'm not going to use that thing because i have to breathe with it through my mouth and i'm like well then how do you talk on a phone yeah. how, how do you eat you breathe through your mouth so let's not get caught up in the idea that you have to do these things 24 hours a day you know 10 minutes with a device that gives you benefit is well worth the you can live with the other 23 hours and 50 minutes of breathing through your nose, if that's what you believe kind of thing. So I like to soften it a little bit and hopefully get people to smile and laugh at themselves a little bit so they could open up their thinking uh, and be and try something new, if you will, because um, that's how you challenge yourself, right? And if, you can't ch if you're not willing to challenge yourself, then you're just simply not willing to learn at the end of the day. That's how I feel about it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, of course. I've got, I've got a classic example, actually, from this week, again, from the broader world of health but um i've been quite interested about the benefits of um taking dark chocolate or eating chocolate sure. as a as a benefit for endurance for me particularly but general health as well and rather than just going out and buying a bar of chocolate i've done some reading you know i've looked at what's what's contained in it the better percentages you can get the benefits of having you know the higher cocoa percentage of flavonoids all this sort of research and then i made a decision mm -hmm. that i think will benefit me to for the next month or so to try having a regular intake of, sort of that dark chocolate um and i think a lot of people might have just read like you know an instagram post and gone oh yeah i'm just gonna go and try dark chocolate i'm just gonna go and drink beetroot <laughs> juice or whatever right, it is right. but why not yeah why not just learn for yourself or, or 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 learn from the experts like people like you or people from different subjects who know what they're talking about but i think sometimes a society a bit too quick to jump between things based on what social media perhaps tells us and obviously stuff's not regulated so if you can go to the source it's always best um right let me um dial back actually to something you said a little bit earlier so we saw you brushed over it but i would like to pick up on a little bit more only because you said the real scope of this podcast in general is injuries etc so you've had mm -hmm. those two injuries the the, the sort of the soccer injury and then the cycling one later on if we if we focus really on that cycling one because that was um, a pretty devastating injury. Like I've got some details here from the website, actually you spoke about like mm -hmm. fractured vertebrae, your clavicle, scapula, um, as well as ribs. So it was quite a substantial injury. Um, and obviously eventually sort of life changing, I suppose. Um, so if we just talk about, I suppose, how quickly did you find your new path and 
this all those sort of mental struggles and then i suppose finally you mentioned medical stuff didn't really work particularly well at the time the sort of classic western methods mm-hmm. get a little bit more detail about kind of what you did try and then sort of how you eventually found your way to the, the sort of yoga stuff yeah no and it's a great question because i think it speaks to at least to me it speaks to the nature of the holistic person right because there's so many layers and and when it comes I think when it comes to uh, representative breathing techniques, if we if we center it around that at the end of the day, um, there's the physical body, there's the mental body, there's the emotional body, there's the psychosomatic body, right? And then there's even the ethereal body and we'll leave that one aside for now. So we'll stick to the organic stuff right now, if you will. Mm. Um, so I, I, you know, I went through a deep depression uh, in my early twenties because I had have fixated in my mind that I was going to somehow become a high level athlete professional and maybe even better. Um, and I put a lot of stock into that as a young person with an ego back then. And so I didn't pay a lot of attention to other things in my life. Um, I, w- I wasn't paying attention to my grades. I always had the capacity to do well in school. I just wasn't interested. Um, I wanted to do something else. And yes. so all of a sudden I lost what I believed would become one day a portion of my future livelihood. So I, I did, I went into a deep depressive state. I was angry. I was upset. I had my fights with the great power upstairs, whatever you want to call that power. And, uh, you know, um, I was very upset with myself and I didn't quite know what to do. Um, what was good about that was I always liked to apply myself and I worked hard and I was analytical about my work. So I needed a project, right? So the project then became an intrinsic project for me. It was like, okay, now I have to find out what's going on inside and start to peel back the onion and see what comes, see what opens up, what layers. And so going to neurologists and osteopaths and chiropractors and massage and even deep massage, like rolfing, if you know what that is, where they basically bruise you and destroy your tissue to try to rearrange you. Um, I got, I tried everything I could. Um, and all I realized was that I was, people were trying to prescribe me medications, right? At the end of the day, typical Western model, opioids, painkillers, pain management, that kind of stuff. And some of it made sense to me because you have to stop the cycle sometimes, right? Mm -hmm. In extreme situations. But um, a friend of mine had challenged me, and this was in the uh, early 90s, 1990s. Um, So a friend of mine challenged me to go to a class which wasn't popular back then, it's hyper popular now, which was hot yoga or Bikram yoga sometimes as it's known. And so I never, I didn't know anything about hot yoga or what it was. And I went in to take a course. And the first time I took that class, I, I left, I left 15 minutes into the 90 minute class. I sat out in the hallway. I cried and I ran to the bathroom and I threw up and uh, it was the end of my existence as I knew it. And the beginning of my new existence as I knew it, because it struck a chord with me. And for me, the heat helped me open up my fascia. It was the first time I had moved my body in eight to nine months because I was fearful of moving. I, I was holding myself structurally rigid all the time. And yeah. because I felt if I move the wrong way once, it's gonna hurt. So I, I, was, uh, I was fearful literally of movement. Um, so getting into that heat and having somebody else tell me what to do was the most pleasurable thing I faced in a long time. I didn't have to think and the heat allowed my fascia to open up and pain in my world, pain in is pain out. So it hurt just as much over the next year or two getting that pain to come out of my body as it came in. So there were a lot of tears. There was a lot of epiphany moments of waking up, if you will. I won't say I'm not, I'm nowhere near enlightened, but I was waking up <laughs> in those moments. Right. Um, and so I just got hooked on 
the ability to heal from the inside out naturally and let my body find its way back to homeostasis. And I thought this is something more powerful than any medicine I could study. So my teacher back then gave me the biggest gift I've ever received. She thought I was crazy. I had quit my job. I was basically living at her studio, if you will. Um, I had no money. I, I, I had gotten rid of my car. Um, I was doing these classes two to three times a day when even if you're healthy, that's not easy. And she said, I love you plutonically. I will, I think you're crazy. I'm going to give you my credit card and you're going to, I'm going to fly you out to California so you can become a certified teacher. And I was like, okay. And two days later I was on a plane and I was flying out to LA to become a, my first certification of yoga yeah. to teach. And, you know, after that, I came back and opened up several studios and taught and I knew I was just doing the right thing. And every time I taught from my heart to people who experienced the things that I experienced, I saw their tears. I saw their awakenings. I saw them getting their lives back and I was hooked. I thought, I'm like, this is what I want to do forever. That, that sensation of helping something is the most powerful drug ever for someone like me. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Um, so I bought in hard. I mean, I went, I, that was it. I, I knew I was committed. And then I took my family's thought processes, which is, well, start reading more books and applying knowledge to all this. So you can, you're not just an artist or, you know, some hippie kind of yoga teacher. I needed to be a scientific yoga teacher at the end of the day. That's my quest. Um, and that's what started me really on my journey. But pain, retrospectively, I'm grateful for the pain I had. Um, it wouldn't have changed my life. So I have to be, I believe there's plans for people in the world. And looking back on it, my pain taught me patience. It taught me resilience. It taught me curiosity, more importantly than anything else, I think. And it gave me faith in the ability to come back, which I think is something people lose on a regular basis, they lose the determination or strength. And sometimes you need a coach or a friend or a peer or a colleague to keep kicking you in the butt along in the right direction or into a new direction. So you could try something that hasn't worked for you yet because you haven't discovered it yet. So I, I think that that's kind of how I feel about what my life has served me up, if you will, to deal with. Um, yeah. uh, you know, everybody knows I'm an optimist. I can't help it at the end of the day, but um, to be thankful for the pain I suffered is a unique position in life. And I am truly thankful for it because it changed the way I do everything. Um, so, you know, I wish more people could look at it. And I know when it's in the moment of being in pain, it's hard. Um, but if you look at it as it's gonna be, it's gonna be one of the best teachers you ever had and take it as a positive, I think there's a lot to learn from uh, recuperating from pain and finding your way out of pain or trauma, if you will. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think, um, I think that transition it's quite impressive really not to go sort of dip your toe in you know try it once try it twice maybe do a bit of this do a bit of that alongside it but just to sort of just go all in is really impressive and then to do it twice as well i suppose to sort of to overcome injury once find a new path and overcome it again and find like a completely contrasting path is really um it's really fascinating for sure um right so let's let's talk a little bit about um sort of AeroFit as a company, I guess, and sure. as a product. So uh, how does it work? What are the benefits for athletes and general population? Obviously, I myself have got some knowledge of this now from exploring the company a little bit, which we're going to start a little bit later actually on. But just if I knew nothing about it, if I was complete, you know, newbie to this, this product, tell me how it sort of works. Sure. So, so I'll give you, uh, you know, the 45 second overview of how the company was created because it's kind of a cool story. Um, so the quick version is... Um, the original widget, if you will, the plastic widget, if you will, was created by a Danish medical company originally for asthma and COPD patients, in theory. Um, 
Christian Polson, who's the CEO of the company now and the original owner uh, of the company, um, he was a classically trained opera singer and found the widget through a network of friends that he knew in Denmark and tried it and it helped him with his diaphragmatic flexibility. He thought that was pretty cool. Um, and so he also has a bunch of sons who are competitive swimmers. And the boys were at the national level in Denmark, They're very strong swimmers. They're great, they're great, but some of them work for Aerofit today. Um, and the lore, it's true, but I call it the myth of, of Aerofit, right? The myth is the boys did not change their training regimen at all. Nutrition, sleep, physical, high intensity training all stayed the same. And along came this plastic resistance widget right? they put in their mouth. And instead of getting sixth, seventh and eighth place at the nationals, all of a sudden the boys come home with seven gold medals. So in that, in that fell swoop as a proud dad, of course, who was a classically trained opera singer with athletic boys, Aerofit was born. And that's why Aerofit today has its athletic ambiance, if you will, to it, because it was born from a, a CEO with sons who bettered themselves as athletes. Um, so that's kind of the quick origination story, if you will, of the company. Um, now, if from my perspective, I'm a master instructor at Aerofit, uh, and I also work with them on partnerships and things like that. Um, what I want everybody who hears this to know is that Aerofit, the device, is as productive and as beneficial for general health as it is for top performing athletes. And if people look at our website, they typically think it's an athletic device for the most part. And so that's a marketing issue we'll not talk about today, but it actually does benefit people who are suffering from symptomology and um, suffering from asthma and COPD, all within medical guidelines, of course, um, as much as it does some of the best athletes in the world, athletes like you know Chris Froome and other really well-known athletes who use this device. And it's most fundamental, the best way to describe it is it's a respiratory muscular training device or RMT as we call it. So without advancing the, the conversation into the weeds of anatomy and physiology, Aerofit at its base core increases or provides hypertrophy for the muscles of, of inspiration and expiration. So your intercoastal muscles in your diaphragm and your scalene muscles in your sternocleidomastoid musculature those muscles are grown as you draw breath in and push breath out against resistance and you build that musculature up. And um, you're, you're, you work in a hospital, so I'll take a risk here and I'm gonna use a medical or academic term for a moment. Um, vital lung capacity is something that we talk about quite often. And in the world of academia, vital lung capacity and the medical capacity is thought of as something that's finite. So medical textbooks say, well, VLC, that's a finite. You're given a, after you're mature, you have a certain amount of air you can breathe in and breathe out and that's it. So we've developed the language of accessible vital lung capacity because what Aerofit does for you is I believe that a breath is potentially 100% and VLC is this 100%. Most people use 60 or 70% of that 100% capacity. So we're increasing access to that finite vital capacity that people have on paper. And by doing that, we're giving you more oxygen and more gas exchange to help provide energy in the mitochondria and all those wonderful things that we could talk about separately. So basically muscular development and flexibility development and all the other benefits come and we could talk about those as deep as you want to, or we could pass over them now, but um, yeah, most people don't breathe well and they don't breathe right. And they would benefit from training the muscles of their respiration as much as they do their legs and their arms and every other muscle group they have. And most people don't pay attention to that. So. Yeah. I mean, yeah, well, that's really interesting actually. And I think what 
what stood out to me and I actually mentioned this in, in the introduction which obviously you didn't hear but I um I read a very brief study somewhere earlier on um some I think it was from the journal athletics or something like that and basically it was, it was saying what you just said so it said lung capacity or respiratory function is the bottleneck or the limiting factor in athletic performance mm -hmm. was the sort of conclusion yes. it drew so basically they were saying you can make your heart as strong as you want you can make your legs as strong as you want and you can make you know your uh, vasculature as diverse as possible etc but ultimately the thing that always holds you back is your lung capacity and therefore athletes yeah. with better lung capacity genetically or naturally will always sort of almost outperform those who don't and that was kind of the very broad conclusion it kind of drew now what i've got from you guys from your website and from what i've read about you and from what you just said there is actually that's all a load of baloney essentially um actually uh it's, it's it, it very much is a limiting factor for so many people only because it's a bit that no one actually ever trains so you know, I've been an athlete yeah. from a young age. I've been in the weights room. You know, you're improving your leg strength, you're improving your body strength. You're do you're doing long cardio sessions. You're improving your your heart strength. You're improving your ability to pump blood around the body. You're improving your psychology. All these elements. But the one bit no one actually ever does really focus on is the breathing, which is why I guess it is that limiting factor. So it's nothing to do with biologically being a limiting factor. It's very much due to a coaching historical floor i suppose mm -hmm. that why it's the limiting factor yeah totally and, and the best example the the best example of how breath is misunderstood in society it's one of my favorites you know we we're all most of us i won't say all i won't generalize most of us were told at some point by a parent or a teacher or a coach you, you have to relax take a deep breath to relax right and, and taking a deep breath to relax is counterintuitive to what science provides us it really should be take a long exhale to relax Right, a deep in inhale, an inspiratory sympathetic inhale <gasps> is not to the nervous system that's inspiring. And when I use the word inspiring there, I mean, it's to coax adrenaline or to ramp the endocrine glands up to shoot compounds out into your blood. So what, what brings you to the parasympathetic arrest and digest cycle, which relaxes you, is the length and consistency of your exhales. Um, so there's a lot of counterintuitive nature to the benefits of breathing. And from an athletic perspective, um, and I take cyclists to me are usually the best example because cycling is one of the hardest sports in the world at the highest levels, aerobically. People assume that these Tour de France, Giro d'Italia style riders are great, they have great aerobic capacity. Most of them have good VO2 capacity when the capability to utilize oxygen. But I promise you, because I coach them, they do not have good lung capacity because they train all day long and they believe by training aerobically, they're building or providing hypertrophy to their muscles of inspiration and they quite simply are not. So what AeroFit does, I think that's really unique is it's an isolatory moment of respiratory muscular training where you're not doing it while you're running or while you're walking, you're sitting or relaxing purposely to engage the what I call the 360 degree view of your breath, because you don't, we don't just breathe in the front of us. If you breathe properly, you breathe laterally and quarterly in the backside of your body as well. So there's an educational process to gain access to that full VLC. And most people in the world, even the best athletes in the world, they don't have performance breathing coaches. So they simply don't know. 
and they take it for granted because they're winning big races that they have all the capacity they need. And then someone crazy like me comes along and trains them and they have 1.4 liter more capacity in two weeks than they had their whole career. And then they're disappointed because they didn't find that out early in their career and they could have won more races <laughs> kind of thing. Um, so I guess the message to everybody listening is even the best athletes in the world who you presume have great capacity, they don't have their best capacity because they haven't isolated and worked on it. And so that's, that's the moral of the day when it comes to AeroFit. Everybody can gain capacity, whether you're 80 years old or 18 at the prime of your athletic career. It benefits everybody if you can increase your capacity at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah, obviously, for sure. Um, and I think probably the best way to really explore that in depth, actually, is to look at kind of each individual parameter in relation to me as an athlete and how I found using the device and so on. And we'll do that shortly. But just, I suppose, cool. one final thing to round off almost that sort of first section of this interview is really about you and the company, et cetera, is have you got any notable examples of particular athletes you've worked with and benefits they themselves have had, both in terms of personal benefits and then sort of tangible benefits as well in terms of performance? Absolutely. I, I, and I, I don't have to think very hard about this at all. My favorite story to date is um, it's, a, it's a cyclist. It's, of course, it's going to be a cyclist because I work with a lot of cyclists, but it's a brilliant story. A Colombian cyclist, his name is Jonathan Restrepo. Uh, he's become a good friend of mine, actually, from our working together. Um, the world of cycling is a very demanding cycling, and it's also a high-priced sport. And so Jonathan was training in Colombia. He's on a European team. I'll, I'll leave the names of the teams out of it. Um, but he was expected to go to the Giro d'Italia this year. Um, he suffered from COVID in the early on beginning of the season, and his doctors flagged him, said, no, you're, you're not going to race this season. It was also a contract year for Jonathan. And in the world of contract years for cyclists, it means you're being evaluated to be either picked up by another team and paid more money or hopefully stay on your own team. So it's a risky moment for a cyclist. And not all cyclists have a lot of money. You come from Colombia, chances are you didn't come from a very wealthy family and you have to pay the bills. So Jonathan's wife and his young child are wondering if Jonathan is going to race at all. Um, so I was introduced to him at the time. Jonathan's a mountain, he's a climber as most Colombian riders are because they're gifted because they live at altitude yeah. and his, his um, vital lung capacity was diminished all the way down to the mid four liter range. So 4.5, 4.6 liters. And his um, team doctor said, just, just get back to training when you can and we'll see you next season. And Jonathan was determined to try to find a way back. So we bumped into each other. The, the cosmos made it happen kind of thing. We bumped into each other and I wrote him a protocol, sent him an AeroFit down to Columbia via a friend of mine, Zach Morris. And 11 days later, Jonathan went from 4.8 liters to over eight liters wow. of capacity in 11 days. Now, that's a dramatic story and the doc his doctors did not believe it. So the cool part about this is I got a chance to test the theory, right? So wondering if is, is AeroFit calibrated properly? Is it actually taking the sensors correctly? So thankfully, Jonathan's doctors didn't believe him because they were going to have to clear him to race again. So they brought him back in the hospital and brought him to a respiratory lab environment and tested him. And lo and behold, we were within a statistically acceptable differential, which was like 0.15 or something like that. Completely acceptable as far as I was concerned. I wasn't going to argue at that level of accuracy. <laughs> um, so even if it bumped down to 8.3, Jonathan and I were pretty happy at the end of the day. Now, not only Jonathan earned his way back mid-season 
which is impossible. Talk to a cyclist. Every cyclist uses the first half of the season just to get in shape for the second half of the season. So to come in mid-season is, is almost impossible. Not only did he come back, but he entered the Tour of Rwanda and he won the time trial, which, he's, which is not his specialty. He was thrilled that that even happened. And then the next race he won in, he won the King of the Mountains jersey. And this is all mid-season entry points. So not only is he doing better in terms of his contract, he is a post-COVID recovery story. That respiratory muscular training does work to help you gain back the access that you've lost, even if you have scar tissue. Um, and it gave him back the horsepower, if you will, to draw breath into his body. So that covers the emotional family side. It covers the athletic side. It covers the financial livelihood side. It covers all these beautiful, you know, holistic areas of a person's life. And to get that gain in 11 days, it's shocking. Now, and he didn't work more on the device. He didn't put in more than 15 minutes a day. This wasn't hours of respiratory training. So the beauty of this is it's not like training for a triathlon where you have to run mile after mile after mile every day. This was 12 to 15 minutes a day for two weeks. And he gained back his ability to ride at the highest level. And his doctor said he wouldn't. So it's my favorite story because it's an old, it's a comeback story. It's about resilience. And more importantly, he texts me every day now thanking me. I didn't do the work. He did the work. I just said, put this in your mouth and breathe this way, you know, kind of thing. And, and he did, he did all the things and his wife thanks me. His, you know, his whole family loves me because he found his way back and he was nervous about providing for his family, a young family. So it's a really powerful story to get his life back on top of getting his breath back. And he's at the top of his form, which is, I think it's really cool. So that's my favorite story of, of late, to be that's, fair. Um, I mean, yeah, that's, that's stunning, really. It's, uh, it's an incredible story. It's, it's taking me all by surprise, actually. I don't know what to say anymore. These figures are incredible. And to be honest with you, all I want to do now is just go and grab that device and have a go. Because if Good, he can, that's what I want. If he can double his, <laughs> that's what I want to be doing. Um, I don't know why I'm wasting time chatting. Let's, let's crack on. Um, fair enough. Now, that is really good, actually. What, what is interesting, though, is obviously, so he's obviously a successful cyclist. You mentioned earlier people like Chris Froome and obviously some sort of big names in the sport. Um, what's quite interesting, though, is, you know, obviously I came across his product, I think, via an advert on Instagram, I think it was. Um, okay. But it, it's not a, particularly in this country anyway, it's not a particularly overly known product. It's not something I see endorsed loads by athletes or spoken about loads. And it's almost like, it seems like the, a dirty little secret almost like no one's really talking about it. No one's like, you're not seeing like these athletes standing there going, Oh, this thing's changed my life kind of thing. And maybe, maybe that will happen going forward. And obviously I'm sure you're not, maybe you're not sort of interested in sort of that endorsement side of things, but it's almost like it seems to have this massive tangible difference for lots of athletes and people, but it's, it's still not really, not really known. I have a theory about that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we're not against endorsements. Um, I'll say that out loud. We would love more people to be talking about our device. So, so why, why are the stories not out there faster? The, the reality is we are working with a, a lot of the best athletes in the world. And right now, um, as Olympics as an example, or cycling, you know, the Giro d'Italia just happened, the Tour de France is coming up soon. Olympics, uh, everybody wants to go try to get a gold medal. Um, the top athletes in the world are reluctant to share their 0.5% performance new gains that they just found. They don't want to go shout it from the rooftops. They want their chance to win something 
At the end of the day, they're competitive people. I have that conversation with some of these and also their agents as well. <laughs> I have to talk to agents to get clearance to talk to these people sometimes. Um, they don't want to give it away. So if let's so for example, if, let's say Chris won the Tour de France or had a great cycling season. At the end of the season, Chris and I already know he'll talk about it at the end of the season. His wife told me he will. He told me he will. Right now he's training to win the Tour de France theoretically. So he wants to kind of keep it to himself. Same thing with all the Olympic athletes. Um, our, our phones are ringing and our Instagram inbox is full every day from athletes asking if they can get a device for free and train with us because they've heard, I heard from a friend, I heard from a friend kind of thing, but they don't want to talk about it. They don't want to present it. So as a business, we are structurally sometimes chasing the very young athletes who aren't famous yet, who haven't gone into the Olympics or the retired athletes who no longer are chasing the gold medals anymore because they have a different mindset about endorsement, right? So yeah. um, the sweet spot of the highest level of competition, they're not going to readily go out and say, I just found this new thing that makes me faster than someone else. Hey, everybody, check it out. They're not going to want their competition to use it. And that's the reality of it. So it's kind of funny. Um, we're waiting until the end of Olympics so we can start telling our Olympic stories because uh, we have a lot of potential gold medals who are working with us. And we're thrilled to wrap up the Olympics so we could start talking about these things, which would be really cool if we can. So that's really what's going on. Yeah. I mean, that is, that is amazing. It really could pop off. Couldn't it? I suppose post post Olympics. So. Um, yeah. Yeah. Really exciting. Okay. Right. So let, let's go on to this sort of section two then. So, so I, myself, I received the device, uh, I think about a month ago or so now, and I've been trying out, I'll be honest with you. I wish now I've heard those stats. I probably use it more regularly. I have been using it. <laughs> I use it every day for a while. Now I've been using it every other day and I've been, I've been trying my best and I, I have certainly seen lots of benefits already. Um, and I mean, first things first, I received the product and I mean, it looks fantastic. Um, I've got it right here actually, uh, for people who are watching on the video. Um, cool. It looks cool. It doesn't look like, like, like a medical device. It looks pretty, it looks pretty cool. It's good color scheme, et cetera. The box comes, it's fantastic. It's made in Denmark and you can really feel that kind of premium feel. It hasn't been, you know, shipped off to China or whatever to be, to be mass produced. It's been produced in Denmark and it's all the detail about like, like the bag it comes in, the box it comes in. It just feels really premium. So I mean, that's one yeah. thing to point out. Thank you. That's cool. We put a lot into that actually. So that's cool. Yeah. I really like that. And it's something we said, it's something as well. It's, it's for a device that's going to train your lung capacity, I mean, it is really small. It's really convenient. Mm -hmm. actually, I actually said something the other day. It reminds me of, I think it's one of the James Bond films when he like and he dives in and he's got the little like snorkel device. One of those. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's very James Bond. It's very cool. I it wish it did. It. I wish it did that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it is. It is very good. Um. Anyway, obviously this gets coupled up with the app application and, um. I mean, I don't know what I'm telling you for, but I was telling the audience listening that of course. by uh, using the app, it's going to tell you to sort of breathe in to various extents. You breathe in, you breathe out, you hold your breath, all these sort of commands. And it's got an adjustable resistance, both for the in-breath and the out-breath. And obviously, over time, you're going to improve that resistance um, or increase that resistance, which is going to increase strength and capacity, et cetera, et cetera. Um, the app itself is really well laid out. I really like it. It's got like... Uh, the voice act well, the voice activation like the voice instructions that tell you kind of when to breathe in when to breathe out i mean right. it couldn't really be simpler i don't know i don't know how you could possibly go wrong in terms of using the device which is which is a great thing to say um so that's kind of a little introduction to kind of what the product obviously is but 
I want to get from you really is looking at my data and I'm just got my, got my phone out here and look sure. at the app. Um, what are the, so, so you mentioned those parameters earlier on, but if we look at them specifically for me, so first of all, we'll look at uh, lung capacity or this vice or lung capacity you talk about. Mm-hmm. And interestingly, my lung capacity initially went down. Now I'm putting that okay. down to probably me having some sort of human error slash, you know, not being sat in the right posture or whatever it was. So I went down, um, I dropped from, oh, I've got a little graph here. I dropped from about, you know, I think, I think about five and a half down to sort of four and a half. If, strange. if you, if you're in the activity page, if you scroll, if you scroll the, the screen, you'll actually get to an easier area to read. Um, is it on the timeline? Is it? Yeah, so if you if you scroll down on the act, you'll see those like scores, and then if you go down, you'll eventually see a leader, right? So that little red circle with the leader next to it, that's oh that, yeah. The graph is the screen's a little small to read the exact quantities of the graph mechanism, so I usually just scroll down to look at those numbers there. Oh, I see. Right. Okay. Right. Perfect. Right. So I did, I did my first one back uh, sort of start of May, and I had a five point four liter volume, which. Okay. According to this, is actually above what was predicted for me, which it's reasonable. Um, yeah, it's reason. It's not a bad vital lung capacity. Yeah. Good. And then we uh, fast forward to later on in the month, um, and I dropped down to four point one, which again it was late at night. I don't know. I was probably just yeah, probably a bit of human error. And then we went back cute. up from there to uh, four point seven, um, and then back up into the about five again. So. Um, so far, I've had a massive improvement in that area, but I certainly have had some sort of variability, but overall positives. But what is interesting, actually, if we go to the next um, parameter, which is uh, maximal, was it maximal inspiratory pressure? Mm-hmm. Um, started off uh, with fifty-three, um, which, okay. which, which, judging by this little. Uh, table you got here is terrible it's low yeah that's <laughs> quite low that's very, that's very low that's that's that, yeah. it's awful according to this uh, and then if we fast forward to uh my latest one uh that's up to 79 which is still pretty poor but it's a 17 percent increase which um is obviously showing some sort of improvement and then finally if you look at the expiratory so obviously the opposite uh started at 84 and on my last one i was up to 106 so again another decent increase so increases both in inspiratory and expiratory and then a slight decrease in uh, lung capacity but roughly similar to sort of where it was so i suppose actually probably what what i should have done actually is probably introduce myself slightly better as kind of what i do and kind of what i want to gain from it so i'm a hockey player um the English version of hockey with the grass, etc. Of course, uh, that's yes. probably my that's probably my main sport. Um, but I'm currently training for a triathlon as well. So I do a lot of swimming, lots of cycling, lots of running. Um, I'm thinking probably long term, I want to get into triathlon a little bit more seriously. Potentially doing yeah. like an Ironman um, in this sort of in sort of two years time is sort of the aim, and various other sort of ultra endurance kind of triathlon things. So if we focus this really probably more on my on that side of things, the triathlon side of things. So, so firstly, what do those three parameters really mean? Um, and what effects, I guess, would I, would I notice, I suppose, if those things improve? Sure. So, so let's, let's make it simple at first. Let's take the inspiratory expiratory measurements or, or the power, 
if you will, that you can pull breath in muscularly. And let's just label that as strength for the moment, right? And, and VLC, that's about how much capacity you can gain in your thorax cavity or your, or your pulmonary capacity. That's flexibility. So let's, 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 let's label them simply as strength and flexibility. So simply by pulling breath across the resistance, your muscles are going to hypertrophy. You're going to gain strength. It's just like if I gave you a dumbbell to lift and you haven't been lifting a dumbbell, well, eventually your arm's going to get stronger. It's, it's, there's nothing you could do about that. It's going to get stronger, right? Just by yeah. simply engaging in that act. Flexibility is a little bit harder to earn when it comes to respiratory capacity. And so this is, a, it goes back to outside the airfit a little bit more about Functionally, how do you work mechanically? Are, are there pains in your body? Are there historical patterns? Do you have scoliosis? There's some predetermined factors that could affect your ability to increase that capacity quickly. And, and there are people who go off the charts in a week, they go, they double their VLC. Then there are people who gain like 0.1 every week and it takes them some time to do that. Um, if I'm going to give you the, a fair and your audience a fair and honest objective statement about this, I'll take off my Aerofat, if you will, my Aerofat hat, if you will, and put it aside. Um, right now, the way the app is designed, I think the app is laid out really well. I'm going to argue, even though you might have some expertise the general public doesn't have, I don't believe for the consumers at the moment that it's very easy for you to decide which module to pick to do. There's a myriad of modules inside of the app, and there's some of them, the nomenclature is such where the common person might not know what they mean. Anaerobic yeah. threshold, hypoxic apnea, like what the heck do these things mean, right? So what we're actually in the middle of right now, and you'll be excited about this, I believe, is um, the CEO, Christian, myself, and our entire team in Copenhagen, we've been doing a tech sprint um, over the past three months almost, where we're going to have a new release of the software. The app is going to change. And the question ultimately comes from this business guru, Simon Sinek. It's always about, can you answer the who? Uh, who the person is that's using your technology? And for our who's, what type of athlete are you? So right now, there's no way to go into our app right now and say, I'm a triathlete. And it gives you a protocol. You have to kind of go in and go, oh, I'll try this one. I'll try that one. I think I want to do that one. So there's not a lot of rhyme or reason to it right now. Um, we're going to take responsibility for that. If we think it works pretty cool, but we learned from feedback from our customers and from our own new perspectives that we need to give people an easier way to find themselves in the app from a protocol perspective. Because triathletes with three different fundamental athletic competitions built into one are a lot different than an intermittent sprinter who plays field hockey or hockey on grass, yeah. different approaches respiratory wise. So I have been personally as a coach working with athletes of all backgrounds, I've been custom prescribing protocols to our top athletes, meaning uh, for the next 30 days, wake up in the morning, do this named module at this resistance level for this many minutes. So I've been up, I've been up, I've been prescribing basically to people. We are now digitizing that capacity finally. So now fairly soon, you will be able to go back and see a new layout of the app and you go, what's your interest, athletic or health? You choose athletic, what's your sport? You choose your sport, the custom protocols that I've built and some of my colleagues have built to how to sequence those modules properly for gain, that's gonna be automated very soon. So it's very exciting for us to get to that point where it's more intuitive for people to use it. So my suggestion or my thought would be, you might not have picked the right modules to do in the right sequence, in the right way for the right amount of time at the right resistance levels, right? And that's on us mm. as a company. Okay. So you and I were sitting here becoming friends. 
here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to send you in an email, a protocol that you need to start tomorrow. The only promise you need to make to me is that you're going to do it, right? There's, I'm going I'm to hold you responsible for that, right? And so you'll have something to pin up on your refrigerator that says day one, do exactly this, no more, no less, and on uh, all, all the way up to day 30. And then you and I are going to check in with each other on week two and week four to see what your progress is. And I'm going to be a betting man, and I'm going to say that we're going to get your lung capacity up and that we're also going to improve the other areas of your life. But, but back to your original question, inspiratory and expiratory strength, um, if you take that from a general health perspective, the ability to move gas in and out of your body efficiently, and I'm not going to make medical claims, but take pneumonia, bronchitis, asthma, COPD, COVID, mechanically, you need to be able to move air in and out of your body to release toxins, to get humidity out of your lungs, to expel things from your lungs, bacteria, virus, fungus, all those things. If you have weak or atrophied musculature, you're not good at that. So imagine if you're 70 and you work in a hospital, you get pneumonia, you don't have the capacity, the muscular capacity to expel the liquid that's built up in your lungs and you basically slowly drowned, right? You, you don't have the ability to get oxygen past the liquid in your alveoli into the bloodstream. So for me, the mechanics is very important. You need to be able to expel and inhale as simply and easily and as efficiently as possible. Then on more of the athletic side, but also on the health side, as you do this more and more like any other muscle group over time with use, especially with your um, musculature here, you're gonna gain flexibility simply by use, right? So your capacity is generically going to open up. And when you think about liters of oxygen and how oxygen makes its way into the blood, right? The higher the oximeter reading on your finger, you know, 96, 95, 97, 98%, the more likely you are to have enough oxygen to feed the mitochondria, right? Or the cells to create energy in the body. Yeah. So I think of it in terms of fuel source, the ability to give yourself the fuel you need, because you probably notice when, um, when glucose and oxygen combine in the mitochondria, that our, the dreaded Krebs cycle happens and we create energy, right? So yeah. we, we get that going, right? If everybody remembers their Krebs cycle um, or citrophastic cycle. And so when you, when you do that, you only gain benefit from having an increased capacity in your lungs. And if you have the ability to expel or draw air in more from a muscular perspective, you have a better chance of recovering from things, right? And the more you stretch your lung tissue with more ability and more flexibility, more strength and more flexibility. The bronchioles are dynamic. The lung tissue is dynamic. The more you can stretch your alveoli, the thinner the epithelial tissue gets, the easier it is to transfer O2 into the bloodstream. So there's all these wonderful ancillary benefits from building strength and flexibility in your respiratory capacity that most people don't think about every day, right? But Remember, people, we also expel humidity. We also expel carbon dioxide as a waste product all day long. We have to get it out of our system. If we don't do that efficiently, our limbic system, our primal brain, our pons and our medulla, they are very uh, observant when it comes to higher levels of carbon dioxide. They don't like it. And when your brain senses something it doesn't like, typically a normal response would be, maybe I should shoot some adrenaline out to get this person breathing more or worse, Maybe I just do long-term cortisol burn and keep a, a higher stress level, which is inflammatory, which makes everything go down instead of go up. Hmm. So I believe breath is one of the most beautiful ways to control access to all of these ancillary areas 
to gain benefit from. So you break the cycle of downward spiral when it comes to health. And athletes will perform better no matter what, but the general public, which needs probably more help than high level athletes, because it's a bigger swath of a bigger number, if you will. Yeah. If people start to learn, if people start to learn about this basic science, not the deep science, but the basic science of why they breathe, chances are they'll be more motivated to think about breathing and they'll do better at it every day. Right. So to me, this is, this is a habit builder for me in a lot of ways. If you put this in your mouth twice a day and do it, you're going to pay attention to your breath a couple times a day. It's better than most people do now. And consciously connecting with your breath cycles your brain down. It allows more, it allows that dopamine cycle to get more in line, your serotonin and melatonin output for sleep. It gets more aligned. There's a myriad of benefits I can go on and on forever. Nothing bad comes from being a good breather. It's all good. That's the cool thing, right? So, um, so yeah, so um, yeah, you should be putting this in your mouth as soon as we hang up and starting your work. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I definitely will. You know? definitely will. So, um, yeah, I, I suppose, yeah. So even though for me, the the numbers didn't reflect like an increased lung capacity as such the i, I still felt I, well, I feel i felt a larger capacity or i felt like i could take a deeper breath when i was taking those breaths in um like just right now as i'm breathing normally now i just feel like everything feels almost lighter like my lungs are made of like a lighter material like that breath's just sure. i just it just fills up easier like a thinner balloon etc um which is interesting, but I, I suppose, I suppose, yeah. So if we really focus on that sort of sports performance mm-hmm. in particular, so as our lung capacity increases or that useful capacity increases, um, would you expect to see a decrease in sort of respiratory rate to compensate for that? Like at rest, is, if that be sort of something you'd see? Um, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm not sure if I understand the question. I, I was expecting you to say like a lower heart rate per se. I'm not sure of a lower respiratory rate. Um, I, suppose, I, suppose I don't think I either. Yeah. So, so, so a couple of, so I was just speaking with a 28 time world record world champion speed skater earlier today. I won't mention his name. He's a highly qualified athlete. Let's leave it at that. Mm-hmm. Right. And so um, he's been training with our device for about two and a half weeks now. He's noticed as well. His numbers are similar. So his, uh, if I was a stock analyst, the generic trend is up and to the right, but he has spikes with his vital lung capacity. So because he's, he's using it differently. He, he wasn't doing it consistently, but what he noticed, he's like, he's like, all I know, and he measures himself for everything. He's like, all I know is that my heart rate is lower. When I get to zone three and zone, zone four is the red zone, right? Where you're, you're pushing yeah. yourself too far. He's like in zone three, my heart rate is like nine to 10 beats lower per minute. He's like, and I haven't done anything other than add AeroFit to my life. So what the heck is going on? So we had a deep conversation about, you know, the medical Latin term would be bradycardia, right? The ability for your heart rate to slow down due to how your mind is operating within your nervous system responses and how the breath communicates to your mind and the mind communicates to your breath. And as you, as you utilize this and the adjustments to your nervous system start to happen, which is really what's happening at the end of the day. So all the, the data that you get off of here is valuable. It, behind the scenes, under the hood, or the Wizard of Oz, behind the curtain kind of thing is, you know, you're, you're actually restructuring through what I call, and other people call it neuroplasticity, the ability of your primal brain to recognize limiting factors, and you're not to have a hyper or a panic response to the change or the differential in breathing style that you create after using AeroFit. So 
as, as your numbers go up or down, you're building a habit. And as you experience those struggles with your breathing, which you will with this, if you do it properly, the, the moments where it says to pause your breath and that pause seems to go on for a long time, mm. right? You're like, oh, oh crap. When's it going to, when's it going to tell, when's it going to say breathe? Please say breathe <laughs> soon, right? That, that primal urge, right? Is the, one of the strongest urges in the world. And I think the world of freediving, I'll bring this up real quickly. The world of freediving is, is elemental in this explanation. Again, if, I, if you and I were in a pool together right now and I, I grabbed you and pushed you down a meter and stood on top of you, eventually you are gonna punch me or kick me to try to get me off. You're gonna have that primal survival instinct kick in. And that's because you don't have access to breath. Your mind is wired to be hyper-responsive to the ability or inability to breathe. In fact, it hate your brain does not like when you mess with your breathing. It believes it knows how to breathe best. And we are trying to rewire that structure. We're, we're literally trying to teach it to breathe differently after years and years of being a human being. It's not easy to do. So here's, here's my recommendation to you about the numbers. When I give you my protocol, and I'll explain this to your audience here quickly, you're going to start in week one doing work that's probably easier than you would like. You're going to be like, oh, wow, this guy's not even challenging me. What's the point of doing this? It's not even hard. And there's a reason why I don't challenge people during the first week of use, because I'm trying to sneak up on your nervous system. If I told you to dial it to the hardest one and go as long as you can, you're going to be an aggressive alpha type A athlete attacking the aerofit, which will not change your habit. So we build up consistently and slowly with the aerofit over four week periods, where in week four, you're working hard. But in the three-week run-up, you're progressing slowly and adding an extra minute, not an extra five minutes. One dial change of resistance rather than four dial changes of resistance. Because we are by nature trying to rewire your brain and allow you to be relaxed as you build your capacity rather than become aggressive as you build your capacity. So typically people who stagnate with their VLC, it may or may, or may not be true for you. Typically those people put the thing in their mouth decided for themselves, hard work is better. They dialed it probably a little too hard for themselves. And instead of relaxing the system to open it, they tighten the system up here and they believe it should open, right? So it's count, again, it's counterintuitive. Low and slow and consistent wins the race. And what you said is really important. That first week I did it every day, then I started to do it every other day. Well, guess what? The answer to that is, you're never gonna win the race if you stop two weeks after and start doing it every other day. This is a life changer kind of game where, yeah. you know, it's like, you know, it's like walking. You want, you'll want to do this every day for a month or two. And then, then you could cycle back to some maintenance levels if you want, but you got to do it every day for 30 to 60 days to get to that new plateau. But more importantly, change your conscious habit of how you breathe when you don't have this in your mouth. And that's what your, your mind starts to get used to how it feels with this. And you start to experience a new dopamine cycle around that new sensation of breathing. And that's that subjective statement that you said, I don't know about the numbers, but I felt better, right? That, that I felt better concept is dopamine yeah. at the end of the day, right? Because you're, you're giving yourself that pleasurable compound because you're feeding your body the fuel that it likes. The brain loves oxygen. So when you give it oxygen, it gets excited. It wants more. How does it get more of anything? Dopamine, right? It, it wants to hook you on a good habit kind of thing. Mm. So if we take advantage of that thought process, that habit formation thought process, 
and reward ourselves like a Pavlov's dog kind of thing. Put the widget back in your mouth, salivate when you see the arrow bit kind of thing, right? And put it back in your mouth. That's how you want to think about it. You want to put it back in your mouth and get that going until your, your conscious breathing method can provide that good feeling all day long. And you, you still want to use this to keep the strength up, but you don't need it to keep the dopamine drip up, if that makes sense. Yeah, well, that, that does. And, um, and yeah, I don't know. Now you mentioned it, and I'm really keen just to get stuck in. So conscious of time as well. We are going to crack on so I can... Uh, I've actually just got a notification on my phone from the uh, from the app telling me it's time to breathe. It's time to do my uh, my new test. So <laughs> the app must be listening. To what what we say. Um, so actually, what one final thing then before we kind of wrap up this section is we mentioned before my numbers were pretty low to start with, and they've improved to the point where they're still not great, but they're they're, they're certainly improved. Um, why why would someone like me who exercises you know, a couple of times a day, swims, uh, runs, cycles, lots of sport, different varieties of sport, high intensity sort of hockey and then low intensity running and generally in good health and so on. Why would my numbers initially be so poor? Like, so we're talking about 53, which on this little scale was firmly in the red and 84 for the expiratory. Yeah. Is, 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 is that something you see quite commonly or is there, is there a particular reason why someone like me might be so... No, it's quite common. Recommended. It, it's quite common. And I don't say, and I, I'm smiling and I'm not saying this judgmental. That 53, that's that's a horrific score. That's terrible. You shouldn't have that. <laughs> right? so, 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 so we have to we have to work on that. But, but no, it, it goes back to the original statement that I said when it comes to the idea of RMT or respiratory muscular training. Again, aerobic capacity or aerobic training does not isolate and train the muscles of respiration. It typically over time helps you utilize oxygen better. And if you're an endurance athlete, just like oxygen, you become better at utilizing lactate as a fuel source as well. Not, neither of those things have anything to do with power or capacity of breathing, right? They're different. So when top level athletes go and do their VO2 max testing, which is a test of how they utilize oxygen, it has nothing to do with their capacity per se. Right. So yeah. this is a lot of people get confused with that. Um, most athletes I work with, the best athletes in the world, do not have high level capacities when they start doing this simply because they never sat down and trained the muscles of respiration against resistance. They've breathed hard. They've some of them work so hard they throw up at the end of a race. But all that work does not isolate the musculature against resistance. You're breathing naturally against your resistance that you've been used to your whole life. That's why if you, if you walk one mile every day, right, for example, um, at your natural stride, are you gonna develop more muscle? Probably not, right? You'll just continue to use your legs and you'll be fit because you walk every day, but you're not gonna see any change in the muscularity of your body. Same thing yeah. with breathing. If you don't isolate the musculature and utilize it, on its own independently and start to build hypertrophy into the musculature, you're never going to expand your capacity. You will aerobically over time doing aerobic work get better at being an aerobic thing, an aerobic animal. But that that has it does not directly correlate to increased strength or capacity for respiration. It's some people academics go, well, that's not true. If you work out every day, it's going to go up. Yes, it is. It's going to go up slightly, not in the same manner as if you isolate it and train it. 
it, it's just it's that simple at the end of the day. Um, there's how often do you sit around holding your rib cage, trying to breathe in and forcing yourself to build muscle? Basically, yeah. You never do that. Nobody ever does that. So once you start doing those things, of course, you're going to get stronger and you're going to see the results and you're going to see a difference in your numbers at the end of the day. So, and there's, and there is, the cool thing is there is scientifically validated information out there that shows by in, increasing your capacities, which means you're almost, you're also at more ease to use those muscles, right? Just because you get strong, that's not necessarily a good thing. Strength without flexibility is meaningless at the end of the day. True capacity comes from relaxation. So again, back to the nervous system, as you do this work and your body can think of it less as work over time and more as the new paradigm, the new normal, right? Your nervous system tunes it out, doesn't react to the changes. Now you're functionally at a bigger capacity, but your nervous system is allowing that capacity to be accessed all the time because it's used to it. So there's this wonderful synergy that's occurring all the time, this two-way street of communication in your body. And if you only allow the one-way street to occur, you're never gonna allow those increases to set in and stay. So you have to become a conscious 360 degree human being when you understand your breath. And you have to fall in love with what breathing does for you. I mean, you, I get, look, I get excited about it every day. I talk about it all day long. It's the coolest thing on the planet. I mean, the people who don't pay attention to their breath every day, they're insane. The, the benefits, the, how I, how good I feel all day long from accessing my breath the right way. I, I don't have to drink coffee. I don't have to use stimulants. I, I have all that available to me whenever I want it on demand because I can have my capacity and utilize it. So it's, so everybody who's listening, I, you know, whether you buy a widget or not, for heaven's sake, learn more, learn how to breathe right and start training your breath by paying attention to your breath minimally, right? That would be the best thing to do. Yeah, I mean, that, that's awesome. And and I think what we like about this is the fact this isn't just a one-off chat or interview, like, you know, Area Fit, we're working together um, going forward. And I hope we're going to talk again in the future. And I so said, we're going to follow up so. me and you about yeah. um, how I get on with the, with the, with the widget, etc. And then, you know, maybe in three months or what two months time, the Olympic starts. I've got lots of guests at the Olympics. So maybe um, we can follow up again then and see how things are going. So I think there's going to be real good opportunities in the future really to talk about this in more depth and because if cool. not, we could, we could talk about this all night. So I'm going to draw an end there, read the section number two. <laughs> okay. And yeah, I think yeah. I'm just going to finish off, actually, because once again, conscious of time and conscious of the fact I'm sure you've got other things to do is this final thing. So it's the thing that all my guests have spoke about, um, particularly in the last few weeks, this idea of having free lessons for life uh, from yourself, which all my listeners can take. So I'm talking about people who are athletes, people who are, who are just spectators people have no interest in sport just things you've learned from your journey both in sport and in this sort of breathing cycle about what you've learned free life lessons sure, sure. Uh, i mean the, the the first and best lesson i learned was from my first football coach my first soccer coach a long time ago and these are simple things i'm not going to uh, announce something revolutionary right now in front of everybody but they're they're classic things that i think are critical because people don't practice the basics enough Right. So um, as an athlete, um, having a natural optimism, not necessarily a drive per se, but a natural optimism with the ability to show up every day with a smile on your face. And, and this is a free diving lesson, right? The ability to instantly be relaxed at what you do and be and enjoying what you do and come to what you do with a smile and a pure happiness um, 
that's critical as a human being, right? And through my, through my injuries and through my pain, if I didn't have the ability to look at that and smile at it, it would have defeated me a long time ago. So I think, I think you have to show up to everything in your life with a sense of enjoyment. Um, even if you have to fake it till you make it, I don't care, you know, find your way there um, kind of thing. And, and if you're not happy with the things that you're doing and you're not an optimist, well, then maybe you're in the wrong place. Then the second lesson is, and I got this from my mom, uh, which I thank her for all the time, even though she drives me crazy, um, is to have an innate sense of curiosity of who you are and what you know, and more importantly, what you don't know. Um, there's a billion things I don't know. I'm insatiably curious, and that's what drives me to learn more and hopefully to become a better coach, a better teacher, but more importantly, to become a better human being. Um, and so I apply this right now. I apply this steadfastly to the science of respiration and to my exploration of how breath can help people. But without, without that urgent, I have an urgent sense of curiosity. I'm, I'm very passionate about things. I, I, I want to wake up the next morning and read something that I haven't known about this art that I love. And so I think that tendency to that drive to learn is, is very important. And if you're, if your audience is communicating or learning, you know, listening to you, good for you for spreading something for them to hear that they might not know today. I think that's brilliant what you're doing. Um, so I think that's really cool. Um, then, I mean, lastly, I think the biggest thing is, um, and I've learned that back to my pain, I think I've learned that I have to be patient with myself and I have to be humble with myself because I don't have the ability to necessarily speed up timelines all the time like I would like, like my young ego would have favored yeah. back in the day. So as I get as I get more mature with myself when I learn, um, I've learned that consistency and constancy helps you win the race. It's not spiked mechanisms or bursts of irrationality, right? Uh, you know, to go beyond what you can achieve today. By all means, go to your limit, but don't expect that you should be able to go beyond your limit. Typically, that doesn't necessarily help for the majority of people. And that has taught me a new level of patience because trust me, I wanted to get rid of my pain the next day. I didn't want to sit around with it for very long. And at some point, I started to identify with my pain. I became the guy who are, hi, you know, what's your name? Oh, my name's Sean, I'm the, I, I hurt my back. That's how I would describe myself. I had to trust that the things I was doing and have patience to go down the road to a good outcome. And so I think, you know, those, those three things, that, that optimism perspective, right? Keeping things simple and making sure you allow yourself time to be curious and then giving yourself the ability you know, to be patient with yourself because good things come to those who do consistently, not to those who wait, right? I, I believe the wait thing is not true. Don't wait for stuff, practice consistently and you get what you are looking to achieve. So those are kind of my three basic paradigms that I have to apply to myself after 52 years of hard knocks and getting back up every time I've been knocked down, um, you know, and I will never stop getting back up because I'm braver now because I've seen good results come from bad things. Right, so I think for everybody out there who's hurting and dealing with the need to try to be resilient, consistency will get you there. Don't give up, just keep doing it. And then when you finally defeat that one pain, go find the next pain and defeat that one, right? Just be brave and go after it kind of thing. And I think being brave is the, what the, it's the fuel that fuels those three ideas that I just talked about, so some courage and some bravery to go outside of yourself, right? And try something new. 
Um, so yeah, so that's, I think that's it. That kind of sums it up. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's uh, really inspirational for sure. Um, some of myself, obviously I've experienced a lot of pain myself. Um, I don't think anywhere near to the extent you have, but obviously the whole inspiration for this podcast series is to do with hip injuries, something I've suffered with long-term. And I think you're right. You do just get in something to be of a rut when it's all about like you're injured and you start to make excuses for yourself sometimes. And mm. sometimes you overtrain, you kind of put it to one side. Sometimes you undertrain. It's really hard to get that balance of you're an athlete who has an injury rather than just being an injury kind of thing. Having those mm-hmm. two things don't have to be sort of mutually exclusive. They haven't got to be the same thing. Um, so that's really inspirational for me. And I'm sure a lot of my guests will agree. And, um, and it's, yeah, it's that real consistency of lots of my guests actually is that sort of just that fight back ability just oh yeah that didn't work out i'll go again i'll do something different i'll mm-hmm. find a new thing i'll do the same thing but i'll find a new way to do it whether that be in medication in some of them so i had guests who have suffered with medical conditions i've had guests who have tried alternative therapies um tried new trainers new physiotherapists all this sort of stuff i think it's um it really is very powerful um i think everyone's going to definitely gain from that so finally to finish um is there any other business, anything you want to promote, social media, uh, business, et cetera? Well, sure. Well, first and foremost, let me, let me you know, give the AeroFit. So uh, on, on social media, you know, AeroFit uh, on Instagram, I think Instagram is probably our most prolific channel, if you will, I guess. Um, that's where AeroFit underscore sport. Um, that's, that's where you could find AeroFit out there. And of course, we're AeroFit.com, A-I-R-O-F-I-T.com. Um, as a coach, um, I typically wear my AeroFit hat all day long these days, but I, I have had a previous life. So you can find me at my other social media channel, which I don't take good care of, to be fair. I, I do it when I can, um, but that's at Breathflow. So my, my personal coaching business was called Breathflow, and that's um, at B-R-E-A-T-H-F-L-O, no W. So on, on paper, it has a little uh, mark over the O to make the, to make the you know long sound, right? So um but so you can find me there, but I, I cross post off of my personal thing all the time to AeroFit, but I'm typically on AeroFit. You'll find me on AeroFit's um, Instagram page. And we're starting just now as well to do lots of lives and lots more of uh, interviews with people like yourself and experts of our own. So, you know, we'd love to bring you onto our Instagram feed as well. I hope sometime in the future, or maybe I can interview you on our channels, if you will, to kind of spread the spread the messaging out there of what you're doing so we can Fantastic, help the yeah. world help the world learn a little bit more. Uh, it's, it's always cool to do that. Um, yeah. Um, and then if anybody has, there's plenty of testimonials and case studies on our website. And I think people are going to find some really interesting additional information. If you check back in with us every once in a while, we're having more powerful personal testimonials come in every week. Um, so if you need some inspiration, if you need to find someone else who's gone through what you've gone through as a person, um, I'm sure we've talked to other people who are suffering from similar things and have helped them in some way, shape or form. So, you know, go again, go find some inspiration where you can. And if you're dealing with pain, don't give up. I, I like you said, I had pain too. Um, so go search our social media, go search some of the people we know, Wim Hof, all these other trainers, Oxygen Advantage, all the great other breath trainers that are out there. Go read their books. Don't just listen to me or to AeroFit. Go learn more about breath from all these other great teachers so you can start to help yourself and heal yourself, right? And you'll find some information about those people on our website and on our social media as well, for sure. Fantastic. I think that's a perfect way to finish it, really. Um, I implore everyone listening to go and do, as you just said, go and learn from yourselves, 
go and go on the uh, the website. I'll tag the website. I'll tag the social media um, on my own social media. And yeah, just really explore for yourself. And then finally, all I can do really is just say thanks so much for joining me. It's been a real pleasure to meet you. And um, I'm sure this won't be the last thing we do. So thanks I hope very not. Much. Yeah, thank you. Ah, Sean was class. I knew very little about him prior to this interview, but now I feel I know him rather well. I'm really looking forward to putting this program to the test and seeing how much I can improve those numbers, which, as Sean pointed out, are rather abysmal. I want to give a quick shout out, actually, though, to one of my previous guests from episode 22, which was Beth Dobbin, uh, Team GB sprinter. Uh, this week, she competed over in the uh, European team championships and she smashed it winning two events the 200 meters and the relay uh, the 200 meter race itself actually can be found on the hips and dips instagram page which is at hips underscore and underscore dips with a z uh, we can see beth just absolutely smashing it and winning her event it sets her up really nicely for that tokyo olympics and oh. i really hope great things for her as well as all the team gb athletes um, at some point this summer, I definitely will be back with series number two, um, in which some of these uh, guests who I've had on who are going to the Olympics, hopefully we can track their, track their progress, um, see how they're getting on, seeing perhaps who has achieved great things, perhaps who's fallen short, um, and really catch up on those stories from what I think is going to be quite an incredible Olympics, maybe with some bad reasons and for some good reasons. The series finale will follow next week for episode 30, where I'll be interviewing uh, Team Ireland and ex-Team GB judo athlete Ben Fletcher. So keep an eye out on details of that release, which will be this time next week. Uh, but for now, let me just say, please stay humble, please stay educated, and as always, most importantly, stay safe.